All right, if everybody would take their Bibles to John chapter 3. Uh, I just didn't have that much time to study. That's why we're going to such an easy passage. Sound good to y'all? John chapter 3, uh, obviously uh, one of the more famous verse. Uh, I'd say probably the most famous verse in all the Bible is found here in our text this morning. Um, but that's not necessarily what we're preaching on. So we'll start in verse 1 of John chapter 3. Boy, it's good to be in church today because when you hear news like what's going on with Brother Davenport, and what's going on with Brother Ed and, and, and Miss Kay, man, that's, no, we don't have problems. You know, there's some people that are heartbroken and as a church we're supposed to lift them up in prayer and supposed to help them in any way that we can. If that involves mowing grass, if that involves financial support, whatever that is, that's our duty uh, because that's what the church is for. Uh, So it's good to be in church this morning, so be sure to be in prayer for them. John chapter 3 and verse 1, the Bible says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the, of, of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? I just want to point out, that was not the right thing to say to Jesus after He's kind of giving Him some spiritual clarity, a teaching moment for the Lord. And now Nicodemus looks at Him and just says, Well, how does that make sense? That's basically what He says. How how can that be? And this is, the Lord goes from as complicated as He can be to as simplistic as the gospel gets. In verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you of earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven." Now, as we move on into the next few verses, we begin to really recognize the format and this text. We really understand what John 3.16 means to us personally, and we realize what it means to our society. John 3.16 is the most famous verse in the Bible. I don't think there's much argument about that. So as we move into that, so often we just take it out of its context, and it's not wrong to say God's soul of the world, but this is Jesus Christ witnessing to a man. And in verse 14, we find Jesus is witnessing uh, to Nicodemus. And as Moses lifted up the uh, serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Oh, and Nicodemus, if you could only understand this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we're in church this morning. I pray that you would be with Brother Billy Davenport. I pray that you would be with that entire family in that situation. I pray that you would be now with Brother uh, Ed and Miss Kay and the whole situation uh, with Kim. But Lord, as we gather around your word, I ask that you would give us something special. I pray that you would illuminate the scriptures to us in a, in a way that we've never seen John 3.16 and the surrounding verses. Father, please give us something great this morning. I pray and I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but we have some pregos walking around the church. Have y'all noticed that? Uh, basically, I was beginning to wonder if the church building, if we had installed an, uh, just a large incubator uh, and we were hatching babies like crazy. The other day, I guess it was last Sunday, they lined all the women up that, that were having babies and, uh, you know, they went door to door, it seemed. And they're all, you know, showing their bellies in order of importance or uh, in order of date, expected date of arrival. It was funny because they took that picture and Kristen left the building, Kristen Dyer left the building and her baby hatched within like an hour of that. So it was kind of funny, you know, my wife and I are expecting and it's an exciting time. But uh, if anybody sees a stork flying around, would you please shoot that bad boy? We got a lot of these women that are pregnant. I know it's not season, but man, can we... It's exciting, though, that our church is uh, having young couples and, and they're having children. Me and my wife find out Wednesday what the gender of the baby is going to be. Unlike Sean and Chrissy, they are not finding out. I want to be fully prepared so that I'm not totally surprised that day. I'm excited, though, man. I, just to be honest with you, I'm so excited about getting to hold that baby, uh, getting to feed that baby getting to hand it to Amy when it has a dirty diaper. Uh, I'm very excited about the whole process. One of the things that I'm most excited for is the day that the baby comes, I'm excited that I get to speed down I-35 just for no reason. It's like the one time you actually have permission to do wrong. You know, you turn on your hazards and if the police officer gets behind you, uh, you can go as fast as you want. I'm excited about it all. And you say, oh, yeah, well, reality will set in. It very well may, but I'm excited to take my son or my daughter hunting for the first time. I'm excited for my son or my daughter to be able to be the best player on the basketball team because obviously he's from Amy. Um, I'm excited about the whole process. And isn't it so exciting that we have several women in our church uh, expecting that it's just a great time? I'm excited because there's going to be this whole new spectrum of life that I've never really understood, you know. I've never had to put a car seat in the back of my car, and I've never had to. Have you all noticed that's the most insanely difficult thing ever, putting one of those babies in there? 
It's like, could we, made it, could we have made the angles any more uh, susceptible to hitting their head on that bar that goes over? I'm just excited about it all. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to go to the Word of God. And I want to understand as Jesus is teaching this man a little bit about a new birth. Obviously, Jesus is excited about the new birth. And I believe that we can find excitement in the new birth. What takes place in a new birth? And so that's what Jesus is talking about this morning. And that's what we're going to be talking about. I want to look at three changes that the new birth that happens when the new birth happens. First of all, we see a new birth makes alive. A new birth makes alive. Look in verse 1 of chapter 3. The Bible says there was a man of the Pharisees. That's very important that you understand who he is. He's a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And then verse 2, the same came to Jesus by night. And said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these, these miracles uh, except that, that thou doest, except God be with him. You understand what a Pharisee is. A Pharisee was nothing at all like a preacher. It was nothing at all even like a prophet. A Pharisee was more so a poster child of how others should act and how others should behave. Very similar to how we put Kevin Durant or LeBron James on a Nike poster with a basketball and it says, just do it. Very similarly, this is how uh, Pharisees would have been viewed. Pharisees were not to uh, uh, witness to people. Pharisee was a man who said, I am good, be like me. Because I keep the law, I'm able to keep the law. I do these things because I am good. So you understand this is the type of man that Nicodemus was. Now, the Bible's clear. Not every Pharisee was completely uh, prideful and terrible. I don't believe Nicodemus was at all. But you have to understand, Nicodemus was a good man. Nicodemus was probably a very spiritual man, a very holy man. uh, A man that adhered to the law uh, 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 of, of the day, the Jewish law, the Mosaic law. He adhered to it all. And so now we look and we see how... Why would this man come to Jesus? Why would a man that seemingly has everything in spirituality, everything in the type of religiosity that he could have, why would he be coming to Jesus? Can I just submit to you this morning, I believe it's because his religion was a little empty. I believe he understood that he wasn't fulfilled. And while everybody looked at Nicodemus and said, Nicodemus, you, I want to be like you. You are the best. You are the greatest. You keep the law. I can't keep the law, but you're doing it. and You're doing a great job. Nicodemus, I'm so impressed with you. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, I know you're of God. And he comes to him privately wanting to just ask him some questions. I believe the new birth makes alive. And and what I mean by that is, the Bible says in uh, in Ephesians 2 and verse 1, that we were dead in trespasses and sin. I want you to understand, spiritually this morning, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are dead. You don't know what it is to be Spirit-filled. You don't know what it is to feel the love of your God. You have no idea and you are spiritually separated from your Father. But I believe this is what's beautiful about the new birth is, first of all, the new birth removes restrictions. It removes restrictions. You see, as Nicodemus comes to the Lord, 
He had the ability to keep rules. But rule keeping doesn't impress God. You see, the Bible says that even our, filth, uh, uh, even our uh, uh, righteousness is as filthy rags to God. The best thing that you can do, the best abilities within yourself to keep rules and to say, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to smoke, I'm not going to do this. The best abilities within yourself that you do that with fall flat in front of a holy God. But you see, the new birth, as the Lord looks at Nicodemus, and I'm sure it is impressive that a man can keep the law, but the Lord looks at him and says, you're so confused. You don't know. The new birth has nothing to do with restrictions. You see, the law was just a schoolmaster to bring us unto our need for salvation. Galatians 3 and verse 24 says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. You say, what's a schoolmaster? In first grade, I learned very well for the first time what a schoolmaster was. I remember the very first time I ever was told to go to the office. It was so intimidating. It was so... Now, I got very accustomed to it after this one. Let me assure you. It's like, let me go to the office. Okay, I'll just stop by, get a drink and go, and I'll get him one too. That'd be fine. But I remember Miss Whitehead... And I remember her, and I, I was trying to be a good kid. When I was younger, I actually was good at academics. I was A on a roll, you know, uh, uh, I forget what that, citizenship grade, yeah, you can do all that. I was trying to be good, but one day I guess I just had a bad day. And, and I remember she said, now Andrew, you need to go to the office. I go, I don't know where it is. And so I literally, in my mind, and you may think this is foolish, I can remember the buildings that I was walking through, and it was like the walk of shame, following Miss Whitehead to the office. There's this modular building, and this modular building, and I'm like, everyone, I'm going to the office. It was completely intimidating. I get to the office, and I realize just how attractive our principal at the time was, so that's why I continued to go back, and to go back, and to go back. You see, my mom just thought I was a bad kid. No, I thought the principal was beautiful. Our schoolmaster, it is the person who reckons you to the fact that you did wrong. The Bible says in Romans 3, Now we know that whatsoever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin." You know why so many Christians battle trying to be a good Christian and can't? It's because the rules that we place upon ourselves are only to help us realize we can't keep them. You see, the Bible says that if we offend the law in one point, we are guilty of all. We can't within ourselves muster up the ability or the strength to say, I'm going to keep this rule and I'm going to keep this rule so that one day I might be able to impress God when I stand before Him. We're all guilty when it comes to the rules that God's placed upon us. Uh, the other day I was getting my hair cut and I, was, uh, I had the opportunity to maybe talk to the lady. It's really cool now uh, that I've been made co-pastor. People seem to 
ask you a little bit more. You know, when I was just the youth pastor, they didn't really care. That apparently, they don't know what they're talking about. And that's probably true. But now that I'm the co-pastor, I was talking to the lady. She said, where do you work? And I said, uh, I work at Joshua Baptist Church. And she said, what do you do there? And I go, I'm the youth director and I'm the co-pastor. And she said, oh, okay, that's good. Uh, do you preach? And I was like, yeah, I preach. Um, in fact, this Sunday morning I'll be preaching. She said, where do you come up with the inspiration to, uh, to, to, to preach? I said, well, you know, I read my Bible every day and I try getting things out of it. And I depend a lot on the Lord to tell me uh, what to preach and what not to preach. And so I began to tell her, and I said, actually, I'm preaching a sermon tonight. And last Wednesday to the teenagers, I preached uh, three things that people in hell care about more than you do. And I preached it out of Luke chapter 16. And, and one of the points was just simply, they care about people dying and going to hell. And I, I, I said, actually, I'm preaching tonight. And I began to preach my sermon to this lady I was studying for it in the lobby of sports clips, and now I'm like, well, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to rip your face off, ma'am. And it was really exciting. And I said, well, ma'am, and I had the opportunity to witness to her. Well, it became uh, very apparent to me that the lady was Catholic or had been raised Catholic. And I remember as I was talking to her, and I, I, I was witnessing to her, and she said, and I was telling her a little bit about the Lord Jesus Christ and what He did for her. And she said, yeah, and, and you got to be good and stuff, don't you? I'll go, honestly, ma'am, that has absolutely nothing to do with my salvation. I said, I could leave this building today and I could go commit the most heinous crime that you've ever heard of and I would still be saved and the Lord would still love me. You see, the law was not placed upon us to help us realize how we could not accomplish what we want to accomplish. The law was placed upon us so that when we saw God as a holy, perfect God, we could realize our need for Him. You see, one of the reasons that uh, a new birth is so awesome is it removes the restrictions that Nicodemus had faced for so long. But this is so vitally important. It doesn't just remove restrictions. It replaces it with a relationship. It replaces it with a relationship. Imagine, if you would, as Nicodemus was very, very um, adherent to praying and being a good man and doing the law. Imagine, if you would, his surprise that this man come from God would be hanging out with a group of fishermen. I mean, if anybody, if, if somebody came from God, what group of people do you think in Nicodemus' mind deserve to hang around this man? Nicodemus doesn't have a problem admitting that Jesus is from God. I think his issue is with the fact that Nicodemus is unable to hang out with him. Yeah. I mean, Peter over here, it's not 34 seconds later, Peter's going to say something stupid. Yeah. You know, that's Peter's MO. That's what he does. John's over here just leaning on the Lord's bosom. You know, the, John the Beloved, he's just sitting there, probably not even speaking, just probably the way I picture him, just tenderly loving on the Lord. This other guy over here, Judas, he's probably counting his money. And this group of 12 fishermen, they all sit around Jesus. And Nicodemus says, you're from God, 
why am I not here? You see, one of the beautiful things about the new birth is it gives us a relationship with the Lord. So many people know tons about Christianity and know none about the Christ. You see, Christianity in the world's mind, and I read an article about this last night. In the world's mind, Christianity is a religion of rules. Don't do this. Don't do this. You need to stop doing this. Clean this up in your life. This is ugly. Get rid of that. And and I literally watched a man on CNN last night ask ask a preacher, and he's sitting there asking, how do you believe that? How do you believe that? Those are just rules. And in the world's mind, Christianity is nothing but rules. But let me tell you this. I'm not a Christian and I don't do the things that I do and don't do the things that I don't do because of the rules in the Bible. I do them because I love God. Have you ever been at a grocery store and you see a little baby in a basket? And, you know, they've placed those candy bars there as impulse buys. You know, you pull up. And and apparently impulse buys work extremely well on toddlers. Because they pull up and you, you know, the lady in front of you, she's a mom and she's got 3,738 things in the express checkout line. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And she pulls up and her baby's sitting there looking at the candy bars and it doesn't even know what chocolate is, but it sees the bright packaging and begins to scream, I want candy! Yeah. And they start freaking out. And how many of y'all know what I'm talking about? And then, how many of y'all have ever seen a baby at a restaurant? Now, this is my sister's little baby now. Uh, We're at a restaurant, and now he's eating, and food's going everywhere. We left Red Lobster the other day, and I guarantee you, none of the food that we bought him went into his mouth. It was all on the floor. And we leave the restaurant, I'm really sorry. We're, We're extremely sorry about that. And inside of you, this, this baby at the checkout stand and this baby at the restaurant, you want to walk up and say, what are you doing? Shut up! You're annoying people! As if the 3,738 things was not enough, this little toddler, you're annoying me! And you, you but the reason you don't do that The reason you don't walk up to that baby and say, Now, baby, you need to stop making everybody angry. The reason you don't is because you don't know who that baby is. Right? If you knew that baby, if you were, say, that baby's father or mother, and that's what we always say, isn't it? If I were that baby's daddy, I'd beat his tail. Isn't that what we always say? You know why you don't? It's because you don't have a relationship with that child. And rules without relationship breeds rebellion. You understand that the beautiful thing about Christianity and the thing that the world has no idea about is the reason that I've placed these rules in my life and these boundaries in my life is not because I'm trying to keep them. It's because I love God and the relationship with Him draws me to keeping them. The law was not placed upon Nicodemus so he could walk around and say, I'm better than everyone. The law was set there to prove to you, you're not better than anyone. I love when I uh, had the opportunity to witness to the uh, kids in the children's church. I worked down there for several years and 
And they all raise their hand. And with them, you really got to make sure they know what they're talking about and what they understand. Because you don't ever want to give them a false sense of salvation. But I remember one example that I always did with people was this, with the kids was, when the Bible says, for all, have come, uh, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, I would always say this. Now here's God. God's perfect. God's holy. And it doesn't matter if you're here or if you're here, you still fall short. And the law was placed upon us to know that you fall short. But the beautiful thing is we have a great intercessor. 1 John 3.1 3, says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. You see, God didn't just say, keep this rule, abide by this policy, do this. He said, I will give you my love to empower you to do that. Oh, the beautiful thing about the new birth is as Nicodemus came to the Lord with a dead religion of rules, he left with a living religion, a living relationship of love. First of all, we've seen that a new birth makes alive. Secondly, a new birth makes anew. A new birth makes anew. Look in verse 4. The Bible says this. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And I don't believe Nicodemus was being sarcastic. I believe he was genuinely confused and he was posing a question to the Lord. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh and that which is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. I'm so thankful this morning that when I got saved, I got changed. And I'm not saying by any means that I am some model of perfection. I'm not saying that by any means uh, I have attained anything. But I'm saying that the moment I got saved, I found something. I found the love of God and, and, and I have a long way to go. And man, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. But I know that I got saved and I know that I was changed. And let me tell you, the new birth will always make a new. You want to know one thing it gives us that's a new? We have a new nature. We have a new nature. You see right here uh, uh, in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You see, the Bible is very clear. When we are saved and when the new birth happens, we are given, we are to discard the old man and we are given a new man. This is how simplistic we've made it to our kids. And there's a lot of theology in here. Jesus comes and lives inside of your heart. Now let me ask you, theological adults... Does Jesus really live in your heart? Does the Lord Jesus Christ come and abide in the tissue of your heart? Come and abide by all the blood cells and the arteries? No. 
But you know what happens? The Spirit of God begins to abide in you. He begins to, uh, He comes and lives and indwells you. The Holy Spirit of God comes and gives you a new man. Where before we were enemies of God, wicked, vile, deceitful. You know what the Bible says? That we become the sons of God. We have new wants. We have new desires. We have new goals. That's what we have. We have a new nature. Ephesians 4 verse 22 says that ye put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You want to know why so many people outside the church look at our church and say, there's a bunch of hypocrites there. You want to know the reason so many people look at Christianity as a whole? And I heard it last night. Uh, I just had a lot of bad experience with people inside the church. It's a bunch of Christians just didn't put off the old man. But you see, when we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, Jesus doesn't come and abide in the tissue of our heart, but the Holy Spirit of God comes and seals us and marks us, and separates us, and empowers us. The Holy Spirit of God gives us a new nature, where before I got saved, I didn't have much desire to read my Bible. Before I got saved, I was not going to go knock on somebody's door and tell them that Jesus loves them. Before I got saved, none of those things interest me. But now that I'm saved, you know what interests me? Seeing people saved. You know what interests me? When I read my Bible and my devotions and I get something that God shows me that I've never seen before, that interests me. That's the new man. We have a new nature. It's so funny. We own two different dogs and it's funny how different they are. We have one and his name is Angus and he's a black lab. We weighed him the other day and he was like 85 pounds right around there. 85 pounds. So he's a big one. We have a little beagle. And he's really annoying, but his name's Hunter. And he's probably 20 pounds, you know, he's small. And we, it's so funny how different they are. The other day we took uh, Angus and Hunter to the park. We were going to go picnic. And the park had this pond. Now, Angus is a duck dog. He's my hunting dog, you know. He doesn't mind the water at all. And we got there, and no sooner had we gotten there, Angus just goes and runs in the water and starts licking it like he's drinking it, and he's walking all through the water. He's above his back in the water, and he loves the water. Hunter does not. One day we took him over to my parents' house, and we were going to put him in the swimming pool. And we put him down, and I guess that was his first experience ever with water. And his eyes bugged so far out of his head... He began to swim at the most aggressive doggy paddle you've ever seen. And we were sitting there like, come here, Hunter. You know, like you, you coax a little baby to walk to you. We're like, come on, Hunter, swim to us. And he came and he swam and we caught him. The problem was he didn't stop. And he was doggy paddling up our face. I'm not kidding you. He was stepping on everything and he was standing on our shoulders and our head so he could completely get out of the water. It's so unique how two, two different animals have two different personalities, two di- different desires. Do you know that no matter how much you clean a hog, no matter how much you shampoo it and scrub it, no matter how many bows you place upon its head, if you open the gate to the mud, it's going to go to the mud. 
Now, if you did the exact same thing with a sheep, and you threw the sheep into the mud pit, guess where the sheep would run away from? You see, we're no longer a hog. We were. We desired sin. We desired appeasing our flesh, enjoying wickedness. But you see, when you get saved, something happens. And this transformation, this metamorphosis takes place and the Holy Spirit of God says, you're you're no longer that hog. You no longer want the mud. And you become a sheep. And the Lord coaxes you to better things away from the mud. You see, that's a good thing. That's a good truth. Uh, We have a new nature, but secondly... And this is very important. We have a new nurturer. We have a new nurturer. You see, in, in chapter, in, in verse 5, Jesus uh, says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. You see, we already had flesh. And we produced flesh. But we got a new teammate now, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You see, the Christian life is hard, isn't it? It's difficult. Sometimes it's difficult to encourage yourself to do right. Sometimes it's difficult to write a check to a missionary. It's difficult. You know that your family needs it, and sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's difficult to to say, well, it's a Wednesday night. I I really don't feel well. I've been at work all day. Three people told me I look like a toad and the other one said I look resembled a donkey. You know, Uh, it's a tough day, but six o'clock comes around and it would be so easy to say, I don't want to go to church tonight. But instead, you do. You see, we're not doing it alone, though. That's the good news. The Spirit of God helps us. Galatians 2 and verse 20, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. You see, Jesus Christ helps us and enables us and empowers us to live this life which is so difficult. Jesus Christ gives us the strength to say, yes, I'll go to church. Yes, I'll read my Bible. Yes, I'll give my money. Yes, I'll give my time. Yes, I'll give of my talents. Jesus Christ says, do it. And He's our help. And He's our encourager. What a blessing. You know why so many people can't live the Christian life and so many people outside the church look at them and say, you're a hypocrite? It's because they just don't have Jesus on their side. And they're trying to run this race on a treadmill. In their own power, in their own abilities. And you say, it's difficult, it's difficult. How about you just hang on to Jesus for a little while and see if it gets easier. I just love when we teach little kids. The simplicity in the lessons amazes me. One of my favorite lessons to teach is David and Goliath. And of all the people in this room today... I don't believe that there would be one person that would see that story play out and you see the giant standing down in the valley and he says, Oh, you Philistines, I curse your God. Is is there not anyone that wants to come fight me? And David steps out and he looks at King Saul and King Saul's the biggest man in Israel. 
he ought to be the guy that goes down. But he looks at Eliab, his older brother, and, and that ought to be a guy that goes down because he's a trained uh, Jew. He's a trained Israelite in the army of God. Those ought to be the men that go down. But instead, a little shepherd boy steps out. Very small. The Bible says ruddy. And I don't even know what ruddy means, but isn't it the perfect word to describe somebody who's just small and weak? He's ruddy. And David steps out and he says, if nobody's going to go fight him, I will. I'll go fight him. And David goes down with a slingshot. And you remember the story. Saul says, well, take my shield, take my helmet, take this, take that. And David says, no, I've not proved these things. I'm going to go with my slingshot and the power of God. And now the battle plays out and, and, and Goliath stands over there and some of his final words are, Am I a dog that thou wouldst come to me with this little kid? You're insulting me. And then old David starts that sling, right? Y'all know it, and this is how I picture it in my mind. But I don't think there's one person in this whole room today that would say David had some skill. And I've heard preachers try explaining away, well, David was probably practicing with his slingshot, so he was a good shot. My friend, David couldn't kill nothing if God didn't help him. Everybody in here would agree with me that Goliath only fell because the power of God helping David. Would you say amen? That's what happened. Nobody in here would say, oh, David was, you know, had some talent. He, the, the giant was slow and David was... No, it was the power of God. Let me say, you face giants every day. You face battles, you face difficulties, you face hard times... And so often we go down there with our unproved weapons, our flesh, our desires, our lusts. So often we do it in our own strength, in our own power. And let me tell you, that is the reason too many Christians are failing. What we need to do is just grab onto the power of God. The enabler, the buckler, the defender of our faith, the strengthener, the provider. Jesus Christ says He will help you. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You see, you can't fight the Christian battle on your own. You need God's help. And the beautiful thing about the birth of the second birth is God is now on your side. What a great promise. What an awesome blessing. Romans 8.37 says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Too many Christians are fighting Goliath on their own. Too many Christians are failing every time they face that giant because they're doing it in their own strength and their own power. God stands there waiting for you to call upon His help, waiting for you to lean upon Him, and He will help you become a conqueror. Finally, a new birth makes us accepted. We've seen how a new birth makes us alive, how it makes us anew. Finally, and this is my favorite part of the story, it makes us accepted. You see in verse 16 and verse 18, many people have referred to these verses as the gospel in a nutshell. I like that. I think it's very accurate. Verse 16 says this, For God so loved the world, right there by a world I have written in my column, Andrew. I've pointed an arrow to the world, and so this is the way I read it. Please don't think I'm changing the King James Version of the Bible. For God so loved the Andrew... That He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Could you imagine if you were Nicodemus for a moment? Everybody in Israel looks up to you. You keep the law. And as I said earlier, you are the poster child of what every Jew was supposed to be. You were their example. You were their model. And Nicodemus is that. And then every time the Lord speaks to the Pharisees, it's almost in a condemning tone. Matthew 3, Matthew 12, and Matthew 27, all of them the Lord calls the Pharisees a generation of vipers. We know how the Lord speaks to them. He says, you're just whited sepulchers. Your mouth is full of cursing and deceit. He's talking to the Pharisees. And everybody in Israel looks up to the Pharisees. And every time the Lord deals with them, He's saying, y'all need to repent. Y'all need to get right. You see, the beautiful thing about the new birth is it makes us accepted. Why wasn't Nicodemus accepted before the Lord? The same reason you weren't accepted before the Lord. It's because we all had a penalty. We all had a condemnation. Verse 18 says, He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. You see, we have a condemnation. The Bible says in Romans 3 verse 10, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh God. For they are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. You see, as I illustrated earlier, if God's here, we're somewhere below that. The law pointed that out to you, that you were unable to be perfect, that you were unable to be great. And and Nicodemus came to the Lord that night and he said, what am I doing wrong? And the Lord said, you're condemned because you've not believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see this morning, and I don't know how many uh, people in here are this, but you see, if you haven't ever asked the Lord into your heart, you are under a penalty You are under a condemnation directly from God. You say, God's a loving God. He could never send someone to hell. If God was so loving and He could never send someone to hell, why did He send Jesus? God's love was demonstrated in the fact that He sent His Son. And now since He sent His Son, He is the propitiation for our sins, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect substitute. You see, if you've never accepted Christ, if you've not placed all of your faith in Him, and I'm not talking about this this faith that's been taught, uh, I believe it's straight from the devil himself. Well, you've got to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, but you also got to do these things. My friend, baptism has no effect on your salvation. The ability to abide by a bunch of rules has no effect on your salvation. The only thing that affects your salvation is whether you as a human being and as an individual, have taken the time to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your heart and to save your soul and to say, Lord, forgive me for my sins, for the law has pointed out the fact that I am a failure, I am a sinner. But in your love and in your mercy, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, the perfect demonstration of your love, the absolute propitiation for my sins. That's the love of God. 
You see, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ and you can't remember a time where you did that, you're condemned. You are who verse 18 is speaking of. But the beautiful thing is we have a condemnation, but the greatest thing is we have a liberation. We have a liberation. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. You know why God starts, uh, why Jesus starts talking about condemnation here? is because in Nicodemus' mind, Jesus was condemning the Pharisees every time He spoke. And now Jesus says, for, I always thought it was a little odd that Jesus goes from love to condemnation just immediately. But he's speaking to Nicodemus, and in Nicodemus' mind, he's been referred to as a generation of vipers. He's been referred to as a whited sepulcher. Jesus has been hard on the Pharisees, but now he looks at them and he says, I didn't come to condemn you. That might be your mind, Nicodemus. That might be what you think, but I came that you might have life. I came not to say that you're wrong, not to change who you are, not to, be, to make you uh, a worse individual. I came to give you life and to give it more abundantly. You see, in Nicodemus' mind, Jesus had condemned him and he knew it was from God and so Nicodemus didn't understand it. You see, Jesus didn't come, come to condemn you either. The Bible says, for God sent His Son into this world to give us life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Salvation is found only in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, there is none other name given under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved. You see, your name, your ability to to keep your uh, rules that you've placed upon yourself, they have no bearing on impressing God. When you stand before God one day and your answer says, well, I was a pretty good person. That's going to be short, man. That's going to fall so far short of the answer that God wants to hear. God's not looking for a bunch of individuals to become better just so they become better. God's looking for a bunch of Christians to to just fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's looking for a bunch of sinners to just claim the name and claim the blood, my friend. He's not looking for a bunch of people to just say, I want to do better. He's looking for a bunch of people who want to say, I want to know my God. I want to know my God through the love of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. You see, God didn't send His Son to condemn you. And if you're not saved, you're condemned. But God sent His Son in the world that you might be saved. That you might know the love of God. 1 John 4.10 says, Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Galatians 3 verse 13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the law. The curse of the law. So we don't have to fail. So we don't have to feel the guilt and the shame that the law placed upon us being made a curse for us. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me just clear up today what a whosoever is. A whosoever is anyone. 
Oh, whosoever is whoever wants to call on the Lord. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. You can still feel the love of God. And you can know Him in a very personal way. The other day, my wife and I got to talking about this baby. We kind of sat down and we... I just kind of started the conversation up like this. I hope we have a cute baby. I don't want an ugly baby. And y'all have seen ugly babies. I don't want y'all to leave after seeing mine. Now that's an ugly baby. And you have to lie to the parent. This is the cutest baby I've ever seen in my entire life. Then you leave. Did you see his face? I hope we have a cute baby. And if the pressure of producing a cute child was not enough, the fact that my sister and Craig already threw like a little GQ model uh, puts a lot of pressure on me. Have y'all seen Ben? He looks like a little man. Uh, he looks like he should already be on the cover of some sweet magazine, like Muscles Magazine or something. It's so frustrating because he's like adorable in every way. And I just, I remember hearing the story of Dave. I remember going into, uh, into the delivery room after Jonathan was born. And Dave was telling us a little bit about, you know, just everything that happened and it all kind of took him by surprise. And Dave said, when the baby came out, he said, Doc, put it back. I don't think it's done cooking. <laughs> I know I did not produce an alien. You know? Dave was like, and I don't want to be that. I don't want to produce. But you know what? Whatever this baby looks like, if it resembles a troll, <laughs> and if it takes after his mama, it won't. You know, I... I'm nervous, but whatever it looks like, I'm going to love that baby. And whether you think it's ugly or not, and you're entitled to your own opinion, I can think it's ugly and still love it. You see, as that baby's father, I'm going to love that child. It doesn't matter when it messes up, I'll still love it. See, all God's looking for is someone to come to him and say, I've messed up. And I realized that I was unable to do what you wanted me to do. But Lord, I know you still love me because you're my father. And God gave us the most beautiful present, the most beautiful portrait of love ever given to this earth in the Son, Jesus Christ. And he came and he died for you. My friend, I want you to know today that if you have an empty relationship, uh, an empty religion full of rules and standards and things you can't meet, God looks at you and says, come to me. All you that are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. If you have that uh, religion just full of don't do this, don't do that, my friend, you can feel relief. You can gain victory because peace and joy is not found in religion. It's found in a relationship. But you may be sitting here today and you say, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. And if I died right now, I truly don't know whether I'd go to heaven. You know what God looks at you and says? I didn't send my son to condemn you. I sent him to save you. 
And you can be free from the curse of the law. And you can be free from the penalty and the condemnation of your sins. And all it takes is believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.